listening to Life Over Coffee, and I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. This is episode 187. I have a lot of ground to cover, so let me get right into it. The title of the podcast is, Is Depression a Sin When Others Abuse You? Somebody does something horrific to you, and you go through bouts of depression as you're working through and thinking about what has happened to you. Is that depression a sin? Now, this is a complicated podcast, and this is a complicated situation. Now, let me say right at the top, and I will repeat this a little bit later on, but there are many causes for depression, and some of those causes are mysterious, meaning we have no clue as to why some people go through depression. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and Adam threw us a significant uh, curveball, and we just don't have all the answers, and we must be comfortable with that. And so I am not going to deal with, in this podcast, a comprehensive view of depression because actually nobody can do that. But I do want to answer this question, episode 187, is depression a sin when others abuse you? This is a specific, isolated case study. And now if you want to read the show notes to this podcast, you're welcome to do that. I have them written out. Go to rickthomas.net. Look for the Life Over Coffee podcast and then find 187, episode 187, and you can read everything that I'm going to share with you. also have some linked articles here as well. Some people enjoy those because they want to go a little deeper in a particular study, and so I always try to link other articles in addition to what I'm sharing in the actual podcast, and so you can do that. The question that I'm posing in the title of this podcast, it does have several layers to it, and it is vital that you not only move slowly, but you think deeply about my response to this common struggle. If you understand this problem biblically, it will serve you personally. Because this is a question that has been asked many times uh, in my life. People, well, one of the reasons is, is that people are abused all the time. Now, we're hearing more about abuse today than we ever have before, and part of that is because of social media. Everybody has a megaphone now. Everybody can speak out, not only speak about speak out about their personal problems, but speak out about what other people are doing, and so we hear about it from every corner of the world. Now, that is, in this context, a good thing, and so we're learning more about it. We're learning more about people being victimized. And of course, one of the problems with being victimized is that you're going to struggle with it. And so I I want you to move slowly. I want you to think deeply about my response to this common struggle because it will help you personally, but it'll also help you in your sphere of care as you bring care to others. Again, episode 187, is depression a sin when others abuse you? Now, let's say that Mabel was a victim of abuse, and as a result, she has gone through many years of depression. The question is whether or not her depression is sinful. That is the question that I want to deal with in this podcast. Now, at the heart of this matter, at the heart of this discussion that 
I hope that you have with others, it does require that you have complete views on anthropology, soteriology, and harmoniology. Those three doctrines are anthropology, anthropos lagos, is the study of humanity. Soteriology is the study of salvation. Harmoniology is the study of sin. And so you have to have a thorough understanding of the study of humanity, salvation, and the study of sin, harmoniology. And you must also determine your presuppositional starting point. What I mean by presuppositional starting point is the way I like to describe it, it is the window through which you look out onto life. The color of that window will determine all the interpretations that you make. Everybody has a presupposition. Everybody has a window. Nobody is objective. We're all looking through an interpretive grid that gives us a filter for how we bring our interpretations to the things that we are looking at. Now, there are two possibilities for all of us. If you come from a naturalistic, materialistic view of humanity, you will interpret this situation through an evolutionistic and secular lens. This is how our culture does it. Of course, they are they have no live Holy Spirit inside of them, illuminating their minds. Their, their spirits have not been quickened. They have not been made alive. And so they only have one way of viewing things. That's how we have things such as evolution. But if you come from a biblical starting point, it's almost like if you could hold the Bible, a big Bible, up in front of your face, and you could look through it. That Bible would give you a filter that will bring all your interpretations. And so if you have, if you have a biblical starting point, then you will see humanity as fallen, spiritual beings who need a Redeemer for salvation and sanctification. You'll see a human being out there as a fallen, broken, totally depraved person. But of course, that won't leave you in hopelessness because you know uh, from this creation of God perspective that you have that there is a Redeemer and this person can be saved, regenerated, and then they can go through a lifelong process of restoration or progressive sanctification. Now let me say up front that my presuppositional starting point is I see humanity as fallen people, spiritual beings who need a Redeemer for salvation and sanctification. I cannot overemphasize how your starting point will determine your ending point, meaning how your presupposition will determine your conclusions. A humanistic perspective teaches that I am a victim of my surroundings and challenges, which leads to hopelessness. That's where the humanistic perspective presupposition leads to. But a made-in-the-image-of-God perspective teaches that we are totally depraved, for sure, but God is a restorer, and it leads to hope. And those are the two primary perspectives. Let me get back to Mabel. To say that Mabel is volitionally sinning is missing the mark of what is happening 
to her, as well as unhelpful in that you could condemn her while not providing a fuller explanation of the interplay between anthropology, soteriology, and harmoniology. And so when I say volitionally sinning, you know what I'm saying, right? That she's choosing willfully. Something happened to her, and she is choosing to be depressed. That really would be missing the mark of what is happening to her. It would be unhelpful. It would feel like a condemnation of her. And you would not be providing a fuller explanation of the interplay between the doctrines of humanity, the doctrine of salvation, and the doctrine of sin. If you don't do that, biblical counselors, disciplers, Christians, we must be more comprehensive than simplistic bumper stickerish responses to the things that we see, let, uh, to the things that we observe in people's lives. Let me illustrate this way. Suppose you had a ball, a sphere, a small ball, about the size of a softball, let's say, and it was made out of paper mache. And you took this softball size paper mache ball and you placed it on hot asphalt in July during a thunderstorm. Guess what, Guess what would happen to that mache ball? You can imagine how it would begin to deteriorate. Now imagine if you had another ball sitting beside it, a softball-sized ball, but it was made out of ceramic. Of course, that ball sitting on the hot asphalt under a thunderstorm in July would experience very little harm. Now the first ball that I described to you is Adam. Take, the, take a, a Sharpie pen and, and write the word Adam on your paper mache ball. The first ball is what it means to be born in Adam. We're fallen, we're broken, we're imperfect, we're easily tempted, and we are dying every minute of our finite, imperfect lives. The second ball, write the word Christ on it. That ceramic softball, the second ball is what it means to be a Christian. We persevere. We endure. We quickly reorient our lives when troubles come. Think about Christ in the four Gospels. He was the ceramic ball. He was perfect in every way. And so when, when abuse and condemnation and other horrific things came his way, he persevered. He endured. He quickly reoriented his life. Even in Luke twenty-two forty-two, where where he was at that moment in Gethsemane, where he wanted this cup to pass, he quickly reoriented his life because because he was a ceramic ball. To use my illustration, but as I have illustrated it to you, those balls do not represent the Christian life on earth accurately. Now, let me give you a theologically accurate picture of those two balls. It would look like this. It wouldn't be two separate balls. If you are a Christian, you're not a totally paper mache ball. But by the way, you're not a totally ceramic ball either. You are a paper mache ball on the inside, born in Adam, but have case hardened ceramic on the outside, born again in Christ, meaning being a Christian does not make you perfect through and through. You're still subject to old Adamic 
can I say, paper mache ways of being, thinking, behaving, reacting. You do react. You do react to things that happen to you. I'm talking about horrific things. In this illustration with Mabel, I'm talking about abuse. Not only do you are you subject to paper mache ways of being, thinking, and behaving, you react. Whether it's because of your volition, you're reacting on purpose, actively, or because of your unique fallenness, passively. It's a reaction that happens to you, whether you want it or not. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul writes about three different kinds of people. He says that you have the idle person, the faint-hearted person, and the weak person. If you study the word faint-hearted in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, you, you would see the word faint-hearted, but that, that word means small soul, meaning that, that people have different soul capacities, that their internal makeup is different. And so people are going to respond differently on the inside, not always the same way. Paul also talked about this in Ephesians 4, 22, 23, and 24. You know this passage pretty well. He says, I want you to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful, and through deceitful desires. What Paul is saying, hey, you ceramic people, you born-again Ephesians, you have this, this ceramic layer using my illustration, but on the inside, you have a former manner of life that is corrupt through deceitful desires. I want you to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. I want you to be renewed on the inside. I want you to put on a new life created after the likeness of God. Paul is acknowledging that we're not perfect through and through, that we're still broken people on the inside, even though we have been very much born a second time. It is Christ that makes us different from our non-Christian counterparts. But we don't have glorified minds and we don't have glorified bodies, not until after we die. If we had glorified bodies, we would be a pure ceramic ball without the inner temptations, the things we do, and the fallenness, the things that happen inside of us. Thus, when someone abused Mabel, she felt all, all sort of awful things inside of her, but that does not mean she was at fault for what happened to her. What does it mean? It means that, she, <laughs> it means that she's human. It means that she's a papier-mâché ball on the inside that did what it was supposed to do. Any person who goes under such evil things will have, guess what, fallen reactions. You have done that. You, evil things have happened to you, and you had fallen reactions like worry, fear, anxiety, anger. Some of those reactions are voluntary, and this is where it becomes sub subjective, and this is where we want to be careful because sometimes it's involuntary. Those fallen reactions, because that is, who, that is who we are. We're not perfect. 
Paul talked about it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says we have this, this treasure in jars of clay. Do you hear the juxtaposition there? We have this ceramic ball in this paper mache. Of course, he says to show, here's the hope that we have, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And that, that is the hope that we have as Christians. That's why I was saying earlier that the made in the image of God perspective teaches that we are depraved totally, but God is a restorer, which leads to hope. And that's part of the idea that Paul is teaching in 2 Corinthians 4. He says we have this treasure in jars of clay. Sure, you're broken. Sure, you're imperfect. Sure, you are a clay pot, but you have this ceramic treasure. And then he goes on to say, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. The world would be crushed. A non-Christian would be crushed. He says, we're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Do you feel the hope that we have, that you have as a ceramic Christian? Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in this body of death, in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. You see the duality here, the paper mache and the ceramic. You see the interplay between both of them. Both of them are very much present and active, but it is the ceramic, it is the Christ that makes all the difference. Now, if, if a person did not have Christ and they went through horrific difficulties, challenges, hardships, events in their lives like abuse, they would have no hope. They could only, they could only rely on themselves. There's no God reliance whatsoever. But for the Christian who is going through these types of things, this individual that God is restoring through salvation, you are born again, and sanctification, now you can progressively, incrementally get, become better. You have divine power to be victorious, even though you will always live, as Paul said, in this body of death. And as he cried out in Romans 7, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Where some folks become confused is that they don't fully understand the interplay between those three doctrines that I mentioned earlier. The doctrine of humanity, we are totally depraved. The doctrine of soteriology, God is a restorer. And the doctrine of sin, how it can, how the paper mache, how it can murk up so, so much, complicate so much inside of us. Meaning if you're born in Adam, you can respond with fear and anxiety and worry. Guess what? That just means you're normal. Now, where depression comes into play in this illustration, in this unique illustration, is after an extended period of not knowing how to deal with what is happening to you effectively. Let's say that you were abused as a child, as a seven-year-old, a nine-year-old child. You were abused. You didn't know Christ. Well, there's only one way that you can respond to that. You're just going to be crushed. You're going to feel hopelessness. You're going to feel despair. You're going to feel anger. You're going to feel guilt. You're going to feel disappointment. And a few other things that could probably come to your mind right now. And you have no way of working through these normal reactions. Well, guess what? 
that is going to lead to depression. If you take that paper mache ball and you just put it in your hand and it's moist, it's wet now, and you just keep messing with it with your hands, it's going to become distorted because that's all it is is a paper mache ball. There is no Christ. There's no hope. There's nobody who is coming alongside them to help them to work through the hopelessness, the despair, the anger, the guilt, the disappointment. The disappointment. Well, guess what? That person is going, very likely going to uh, become depressed. And in this instance, depression, as I have outlined here, it's not because Mabel did something wrong, please hear that, but because of what others did to her. It is though they and their abuse activated Adam's fallenness, activated sin that is inside of her. I'm using Adam's fallenness and sin as synonyms. But you have to understand that when you hear the word sin, see, people have such a narrow understanding of what sin is. They hear sin, and they automatically think that you have done something wrong. No, sin is way more comprehensive than that. Sin in this instance just means that you are paper mache, and depending on the type of paper mache that you are, you remember what I was saying earlier about faint-hearted? If you are a small-souled individual, for example, as opposed to a large soul with great capacity, well, you're going to respond differently. So every individual, every fallen individual will respond uniquely. And so when someone abuses an individual, they activate, they push the button. And when I say Adam's fallenness, I'm saying sin. Those are synonyms. But if you hear, if the only thing that you hear is that I am guilty, I have done something wrong. No, it, what it means is that you're, you are very normal. It doesn't make you guilty of anything, but merely affirms, in this case, that Mabel is a fallen person like the rest of us. In fact, Mabel would be abnormal if she did not struggle in these ways. Of course, the more that she learns how to process her past and how to process the abuse biblically, she will become more abnormal. And when I say abnormal, she would be like Christ. Go back to the four Gospels again. Jesus was very much abnormal. He was different from everybody else. And the reason for that is because he was so centered uh, on his father. He was so focused in doing God's will. Of course, he didn't have Adamic's fall, uh, Adamic fallenness, and so his responses and reactions, and even though uh, when he was hurt or when he struggled or when he was thinking about the cup passing from him, he was able to quickly reorient his life. Yeah, you could say that Jesus was quite abnormal. But for the rest of us, when these types of pressures and hardships and abuses come into our lives, I've had quite a few myself, by the way. And I know that, you know, it would be nice if I could just get up one morning and be okay. But because of my Adamic fallenness, as much as I wanted to, I couldn't get up and be okay. 
I was walking under a cloud. I couldn't shake myself. I could not be better no matter how hard I tried. There was something inside of me that was activated, and I, I couldn't change it. I was worrying. I was anxious, and it, I just couldn't reorient myself. But it took time. And through a process of time, I was able to do this. And so rather than condemning Mabel, Christians should come alongside her to help her live more effectively according to the ceramic that Christ gave to her when he made her a new creation. Let me wrap this up and then, and then we'll be done. This is episode 187. The question is, is depression a sin when others abuse you? The answer to the question is, is yes, but if you have been listening well, if you have been listening carefully, that is not, that's not necessarily a condemnation statement. That is not necessarily saying that you are guilty in the sense that you have actively chosen this, but you have been stirred up inside and, and you are responding humanly, adamically to what has happened to you. Paul is saying in Ephesians 4, 23, 24, that I, I mentioned earlier, that we have an Adamic way of life inside of our ceramic life, and that though Mabel is a Christian, she continues to have paper mache inside of her, which is why she needs to learn how to put off, to renew, and to put on a ceramic kind of life. All of us have had various thunderstorms rain down on our lives. And because nobody has perfect sanctification, there can be adverse reactions. Those reactions can be willful and they can be not willful. But that is where you want to be careful. We too easily condemn people that are going through difficult challenges. These folks, what we're doing is we're condemning them for being human. What you really want to do is you want to come alongside them. You want to enter into their story. You want to bring care to them by, by teaching them how to access the power of Christ that enables fallen people to be more than conquerors. Now, perhaps the person that you're interacting with is not a Christian at all. They are responding exactly the way non-Christians are supposed to respond. But if the person that you are interacting with is a believer and those Adamic tendencies are rearing up inside because of the thunderstorm that is raining down on them, be careful about your condemnation. That is not helpful. Surely they should be more than conquerors. I remember one time I was in a in my Bible college, in my undergrad program, and I was going through the horrific events in my life during my Bible college years, at the end of my sophomore year, throughout my junior and senior years. And I remember a young Bible college student who was preaching. We got to preach at the end of the year as part of our senior project. And and this senior was preaching, and I was just in an awful place. And he said that some of you just walk around, you're so depressed, you're, you, you just mope around, you have no victory, and you're not overcoming. And he just went on, he was riffing, just on and on and on. And, 
I was sitting there listening to him thinking, well, yeah, I, I would love to. I would love to be more than a conqueror. I, I, I would love to just be able to skip out of this auditorium and, and, and sing victory in Jesus, but, but I just can't no matter how hard I try. I really couldn't. I really couldn't. I, I was that depressed that it was the despair was at that level. And as much as I wanted to be like he said I should be, I, now I didn't fault him. I didn't get angry at him because he was a novice preacher. He was still wet behind the ears. And, and by the way, he, he hadn't had his time yet in the crucible of suffering. And so he was, uh, let's just say that he was ignorant in, in these types of things. And so I didn't take it as much as a condemnation. Uh, but the fact is that no matter how hard I try, and I couldn't get up off the mat. One of the most vital things you can do for a person like this is to come alongside them and weep with those who weep. Let them know that you love them. Let them know that you want to enter into the prison of their pain. Let them know that you are there. And as you do this, help them in practical ways too. Give them compassionate care. Give them competent care. Give them courageous care because you will have to speak the truth in love. But you want to do all of those things, compassionate, competent, and courageous care because they are struggling. And so the title of the podcast is, Is Depression a Sin When Others Abuse You? If you have any questions about this and would like to chat with me about episode 187, I would love to do that. We have free forums for our non-supporting members. And for those of you who support us, go to our private forums and ask your questions about this or anything else. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.